This episode is brought to you by Certified Piedmontese Beef. Listen up, foodies. Make your next meal even better with real Nebraska beef. They have healthy, tender, delicious Italian heritage beef, grass-fed and sustainably raised on lush pastures in the Midwest. You can even create your own personally curated meat box that's shipped right to your door. To get two free steaks with any purchase over $50, use the code FREEBEEF at checkout. Learn more and shop exclusively at cpbeef.com. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Bear. The hit series returns with Jeremy Allen White in the Golden Globe-winning role of Carmi. He and the team will transform their family sandwich shop into a next-level spot, all while being forced to come together in new ways as they confront their past and reckon with who they want to be in the future. FX is the bear. All episodes now streaming only on Hulu. Hello and welcome to One for the Road with me, Sober Dave. I'm going to be talking to some incredible guests over the next few weeks, all of whom have made the decision to look at their relationship with alcohol and take steps towards a positive change. My guests are all at different points in their journey, but all have powerful and uplifting stories to share. And that's why I hope you find each episode a valuable source of inspiration and insight. My guest today on One for the Road is one half of the twin brothers they are well known for as the happy pair. They both started back out in 2004 with a big dream and a small veg shop. Now they have online courses, a cafe, books, and they are the most inspirational pair of brothers you'll ever meet. So today, please welcome Steve Flynn. So, Steve, one half of the happy pair, I get to see your happy, smiling, wonderful, handsome face today. Thank you, Dave. How are you? I'm sure I'm great. Just had lunch. Uh, we were working on different oat milks and we were just checking the viscosity, the ability to do latte art and flavor, and uh, it didn't pass the test. So, yeah. Well, if anyone, uh, I doubt there's many people who haven't seen your Instagram, but when you look through it, it really tells a story of um, what a fantastic relationship you've got with your brother Dave, but also you just ooze happiness and and peace. That's how it comes across to me, and joy and inspiration, which is so lovely to see these days, you know, with all what's going on. But yeah. um, I generally love to um, wind it back so people can get a profile of um, – what it was like for you both growing up in Ireland, um, how your drinking looked, how it started and um, how it finished, really. Yeah, absolutely. So um, my name's Stephen Flynn. I'm, uh, I was born a twin and I'm still a twin. Uh, we grew up in a little town called Greystones, County Wicklow. So it's south of Dublin. And we often think it's quite like the Shire out of the Lord of the Rings. Like, but there's, it, there's the mountains kind of go around. It's by the sea. It's a little community. And um, you kind of walk around and you know it, most people by their name. And it's, you know, it's a really lovely place to grow up. And uh, at least when we were growing up, it was, it was even smaller. So everyone really did know everyone. 
So it's a great place to grow up. And um, in terms of our relationship with alcohol, we before we even got to alcohol, we're, we're, or I'm one of four boys. So we used to, you know, we had a lot of energy. So mom would make us play any sport going. So we were playing tennis, golf, rugby, baseball, Gaelic, hurling, any sport. Just get out there and move. This type of thing and burn off that energy so I can deal with you when you come home. Um, but in terms of our relationship with alcohol, um, we... I would have started drinking when I was about 15 and we went to an all boys school and we played a lot of rugby and rugby is quite a macho culture. And as a result, um, my relationship with drink was framed with this kind of macho mindset that the person who drinks the most is the strongest. And, you know, if you can't remember what you did the night before, that was a good thing. You know, this was kind of the, the framework or this was the, the role model that we were being presented with. So we kind of, of course, bought into it. Great, deadly. I remember we used to, like I'd be in with my granny um, before going out and granny would say, what are you doing later? What, what's your plan? I said, I'm going to get drunk. And granny go, don't say that. Just say you're going to have a drink and you want to have a good time. And I'd be like, nope, granny, I'm going getting drunk. I don't care what you say. And this was, this was just the approach. And this is what was done, which is, I'm sure you can relate to that, that it's just this kind of binge drinking mindset as opposed to, you know, a more healthy or balanced relationship um, with alcohol. Um, so, yeah, that was and we went to an all boys school, finished um, school, wasn't really sure what I was interested in beyond getting drunk and trying to meet girls because in an all boys school, there wasn't many girls. And so I decided I'd go to university. We kind of um, got enough points and university was free in Ireland. Um, and Asked dad, dad, what me study? And he said, business. And we thought, great idea. Yeah, great. Because we really didn't know what we were interested in, as I said, beyond getting drunk and chasing women. And so I went in and studied business. And at business, we were very much sold kind of the American ideal that if you make a load of money, then you're going to be happy. And if you're going to be happy or successful, then it's easier to be happier. So we thought, great. Yeah, brilliant. I'm into this. And through university, again, it was the all social life kind of evolved around alcohol and evolved around the pub and whatever way, maybe it was growing up in this male environment. I was never forced to look inside to kind of develop any degree of deeper relationship with myself and understanding my own emotions. It was very much kind of, you know, just kind of get on with this type of thing. And um, as a result, uh, I kind of anytime I'd meet a girl, I, I don't think I ever kissed a girl when I was sober until I was maybe 22, until I actually gave up alcohol. But prior to that, you know, alcohol was the gateway to, you know, having meeting more people um, meeting women. It was just it, it was it was quite a social crutch. And um, it was only when I finished university and I was kind of wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And mom, mom was really proud. Well done, lads, you finished university. I'm going to buy a ticket to go travel around Europe. So she bought us a ticket as a present. And me and Dave went traveling around Europe. And at the time, a friend, Tommy Kelly, was turning 40. And he said, um, lads, just wondering for my 40th birthday, would you be up for running a marathon? And we thought, great. Yeah, no bother, Tommy. Yeah, it's a long, long way to go, but should, yeah, we'll do it. Um, and the marathon was in October and September we started going travel around Europe and we were traveling around Europe again we just got drunk and just went out and tried to meet foreign women so that was the only real different bit and we forgot to train for this marathon and we came back um, end of September and we had a month to get ready for this marathon and Dave for some reason had this idea I remember when we were in biology class 
in um, our final year of school. And there was this fellow I used to sit beside called Keith Barry. And I remember one day in biology class, we used to sit down the back and he said to me, um, do you ever hear this thing called a detox? And I was like, what the hell is a detox? And he kept talking about it. And I thought, that's a lot of crap, Keith. And it was only when we had a month through this marathon, Dave had the idea, maybe we'll try one of those detox things. And this is like back, we were 20 and, you know, the internet wasn't really a thing you used and you didn't know. It was Alta Vista was the main browser. So you never turned to the internet for information. We went to the next best thing, the local library, um, and went in and looked for a book on detox. And, of course, our local library didn't have one. But they said there's one in Dublin and it'll be here next week. And we said, brilliant. So we went back next week and we got a book on detox because it wasn't this prolific word that's kind of part of the cultural norm. It was just something that was strange. Uh, and we started reading up about it and Dave, okay, Dave, right, we're, um, we're giving up processed cereals. We're just eating porridge and we're going to eat mostly vegetables. And uh, this was the big one, no booze. We thought, okay, shit, okay, no booze. Okay, let's try it. Just only for a month. Um, so we, did, we, we started doing it for the month and we started kind of going to the health food shop and actually learning what the hell those things called lentils were and how you cooked with them. And, you know, we were, we were kind of really interested when we started eating brown bread instead of white bread. We gave up eating like kind of cornflakes or any kind of or mueslis or kind of processed mueslis to just eating porridge uh, and no booze. And the, new, the whole no booze thing kind of made us, gave us that space to kind of reestablish our relationship with alcohol because alcohol was the center of socializing with the lads. Like because we grew up in quite a laddish culture. And as a result of going to all boys schools, we were kind of, it was our comfort space was to travel around, was to hang around with a pack of lads and kind of slag each other all the time. And this kind of machismo culture and alcohol was the main kind of gateway or almost the entrance price. You kind of, if you, if you had alcohol, it gave a reason to hang out and it gave you an activity to do. And um, so we did this for a month and the marathon came and we, we did great. We got through it and we were delighted with ourselves. And afterwards it was like, geez, I wonder what we, we like, do you want to drink again? Dave it was like, yeah, let's try it for another month. So we did it for another month, no drinking. And uh, we were due to meet our old friends from school um, at December. So November we didn't drink. And then we said, sure, let's, let's try to last till the middle of December. So we, we didn't drink till the middle of December and went and met Dave. We went into the, this cafe in Dublin called the Thunder Road Cafe. And we were going to get drunk. You know, it was like, this is it. We're back on it. We're going to get back on the horse. And for whatever reason, it just didn't, it didn't feel right. Whatever way, something had shifted. We had a pint there. I drank half it. And I just felt like this doesn't feel me anymore. I'm ready for a change. And we left early and went home. And that was kind of, the last time I ever drank alcohol, really. Um, and that kind of really, that really was the start of it. And I, do you want to, will I tell you more about the business or do you want me to keep going? Or Well, it's interesting. So what was you, 2021 then? Yeah, it was about 20. 20. Yeah. So when you stopped drinking, um, being it was a, like a closed community, did you get stick for that or or was it, did everyone just accept that? No, and I guess I'm, I was, for, or I am fortunate because I'm a twin. So I immediately had my best friend with me. So I immediately had support. I immediately didn't feel, if I was alienated from others, I still had my twin. So it was all, it was all fine. So I was very fortunate in that I had this safety net and this kind of blanket that meant I was more supported from alienation or from, you know, kind of being slagged or this type of thing. But it was also at the same time, once we kind of, adopted this and decided okay this kind of makes sense i went away traveling at the end of that month so it was i decided it was i remember i was sitting around at christmas and i said it to dave dave i don't know i just don't feel happy in myself like i'm gonna buy a one-way ticket to canada and you're not coming and that was that 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, it was like, it was like a breakup. So I, I bought a one-way ticket to Vancouver. We were born in Canada. So we had, we had a passport or citizenship. So I knew I could work there. So I bought a one-way ticket to Vancouver. And um, another reason why I chose Vancouver was that summer when we were traveling around or that September when we were traveling around Europe, we, we went out with these three guys um, one night in Florence and we had one of the most fun nights ever. And it was like we were outrageously drunk, but we didn't take any drunk, any drink, any drugs. And we had so much fun. And it was like one of those nights where you're just high on life and just buzzed up by the beauty and the magic of the universe or whatever way, without sending to Walt Disney. Uh, so I, one of the lads lived there. So I wanted to go and meet him and just hang out. So I met him. And then ended up finding my way up to Bristol. But I was kind of, I spent the next couple of years just experimenting with life and trying to understand time because I wasn't around my own social group and there really wasn't social media. I wasn't held accountable to be this kind of young, macho, kind of pint-swilling, rugby-playing jock. I kind of had this opportunity or social fluidity to suddenly go, maybe I'll be a hippie or maybe I'll like, heard about this thing called meditation or this thing called yoga. Maybe I'll try that or heard of these polyamorous communities. That sounds fun. You know, it was anything weird or wonderful I was intrigued with and really wanted to explore to try to find my place in the world. How did he take it when you said, I'm going on my own? Oh, yeah, he was kind of (laughs) shocked. You know the way? Because when you're a twin, at least in, in terms of our relationship, we were best friends. We were always beside each other. We shared a wardrobe literally until we were 30. So the idea of not having each other was a bit like cutting your arm off. Yeah, I guess it was always very fortunate being a twin. Like even in school, someone would punch me and then the person would look back and there'd be two fists in their face because there just there was two of us. So you couldn't, people couldn't get at you. You were really, you were very supported in that regard. So in terms of how he responded, he was like kind of slightly wounded, but, yeah, but also was aware that we kind of needed to learn how to be individuals. Yeah. So at the time he was playing off, I think he was playing off scratch and golf. So he decided he wanted to go try to be a golf pro. So he bought a ticket to South Africa and he went and trained to be a golf pro. And after about a month, he just kind of went, ah, you know, there's more to life for me than uh, hitting a little white ball into a hole. And that was kind of the start of his journey, similarly experimenting with his place in society to find out what gave him meaning. You missed each other, right? And it went long before you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But we'd still, like, although, like, you didn't have a smartphone, we didn't even have mobile phones. Um, and you checked your email kind of once a week, you kind of kept in touch a little bit. And every few months you'd get together and you'd catch up and you'd spend a month together and then you'd separate again. And it kind of gave this nice kind of together and separate. It just kind of gave a lovely fluidity and it gave us that room to kind of find our place within our relationship and how we were individuals. So it was really mm. it was fun. And it was true through that journey that we kind of, we left as these two meathead jocks that kind of had ideas that if you made money, then you'd be successful. And if you were successful, you'd be happy. And through kind of experimenting with different ways of living, we kind of found out that we were much more into health, happiness and community. And we kind of came back as these long haired hippies that kind of wanted to build a better world. And we kind of, we, um, I remember calling Dave up and kind of going, Dave, Dave, I have this great idea. Do you want to start like a health food revolution? And at the time Dave was living in Mexico and um, he was reading a book by Che Guevara or on Che Guevara, and he thought, great revolution, we're going to go wreck stuff, we're going to like storm the parliament, or we're going to do something crazy. And I kind of went, no, 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 do you want to start like a vegetable shop? And he was like, <laughs> vegetable shop and revolution, I, I, I don't get it. But that was kind of the paradigm with what we wanted to start with. What We started with a little vegetable shop, and 
we nearly called it, and, and the name I really wanted to call it was Flinner's Fruit and Veg for Social Change. But the name wouldn't fit in the shop front, so we called it the Happy Pear. And uh, we, I, I kind of adamantly wanted to start it as a charity because it wasn't about money. It was about the antithesis of kind of this idea that money makes you happy. It was to be about using business as a vehicle for social change, to try to build community, to try to encourage people to eat more veg and to try to have a laugh because ultimately we're all going to die. So we might as well have fun and have fun together and eat veg while we're at it. So that was kind of the goal of the business. Uh, yeah. And what's interesting is that um, I think from an early age, you realized that alcohol wasn't really serving you at all. No. Because when you're young, you 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 use it, don't you? You think, God, let's go out and get sloshed and blah, blah, blah. But I think it was quite soon you realized you wasn't really living your best life, right? Yeah, it was around 21. Um, we both gave it up. And it kind of, we realized, I guess, that I hated hangovers. And it kind of, it almost broke up your inertia in life. Like you could start on a on a Monday all excited about the week and you were going to do this and do this and do that. And then Wednesday night, something happened. You went out for one drink. And in Ireland, I'm sure it's the same in the UK, there's no such thing as going out for one drink. One drink becomes two drinks. Two drinks become three drinks. And before you know it, you're out all night and then you're hungover the next day. And then that list of kind of things you wanted to do or to try to, you know, experience suddenly became, oh, no, I feel awful. And then suddenly life it kind of lost that momentum. So I think that was one aspect. But I think the other thing that really stood to us was it, was it meant that you had to kind of look inside yourself a little bit more and kind of sit through some of that discomfort of being a bit socially excluded and finding a different way of socializing. So I think it really encouraged more growth and it kind of made you kind of form a better relationship with yourself and to be more comfortable standing there without a drink and when someone said you're not drinking you're like no nah, not really into it mm. and then it was like ooh, you know that question yeah. million, million dollar question uh, and you know what? that's a great answer as well because quite often people say to me what do you say when uh you know and when you say well i'm not really into it it's a closed answer isn't it and they can't really come back from that <laughs> yeah and I, I think our the way we socialize also changed that we kind of didn't put ourselves in positions like that because ultimately we become a product of our environment. And if you're in an environment where the main means of socializing evolves around alcohol, but then you're going to be always up against it. Whereas we kind of changed our whole outlet of socializing. Because when we started the bed shop, we were up at half four every morning to go into the fruit shop. So you were kind of going to bed at nine o'clock at night. So alcohol really didn't have a place. And the main way we were socializing was around the shop all day long and you were working. So you couldn't drink. And then if you were up at 4.30, we'd often kind of, you know, as um, two red-blooded young heterosexual males, you know, when you weren't drinking, it was hard to meet girls. So one of the best places we found was working in the veg shop. There was this, there was an au pair market. There was au pairs. So like foreign students who'd come and mind children in Graceland's. And there were loads of them that we never noticed because we were too busy. You thought you could only meet girls when you were drunk. So in the veg shop, you'd see someone come in and, oh, what's your name? Oh, Sophia. Where are you from, Sophia? Espana. Oh, how wonderful. And we'd go, listen, have you ever seen Dublin Fruit, Mark? And they'd go, what? It's the best thing. And like, you got to see it. you got to see it. And they'd go, oh, wow, Dublin Fruit, Mark. And you go, yeah, do you want to come in with me? And they go, okay. And you go, meet you tomorrow at 4.30 a.m. And they go, 4.30 in the morning? And you go, yeah. And they go, okay. And it was a, it was a whole other way of socializing. I think once we realized that you could meet, um, you know, girls or whatever you were into during the day it just changed the whole focus suddenly alcohol was redundant you didn't need it and you felt more yourself and you weren't saying things that you didn't mean to say and you were regretting because you were 
high on alcohol and you didn't have a hangover and you saved money. So it was, it just kind of ticked all our boxes. I'm sure there's loads of guys listening to this now, writing notes down. (laughs) (laughs) Fruit and veg shop. It's like when you take um, a puppy to the vet, isn't it? (laughs) It really is. You go in there and everyone's like, oh, my God, so beautiful. You sit in a dentist and and people sit away from you or the doctors. But when you go in with a little puppy or a kitten or whatever, like it's such a a different experience. So that's so brilliant. Yeah, I think on on the point of alcohol, I think, many people kind of forget the social support aspect. And if someone is trying to, you know, make any lifestyle change, whether to be eat more veg, to move more, to sleep better, I think one of the, the most important thing for sustaining any lifestyle change is support. We forget that we're social creatures and that we become the product of our environment. You know, if you have, if you have five friends that are, you know, drinkers, it's going to be really hard for you not to drink. Whereas if you have five friends that drink and you have another friend that doesn't drink, suddenly the game changes. So it's not about giving up your friends. It's just about finding one or two new ones that will support the lifestyle that you want. A hundred percent, mate. And um, when I have my socials, um, I remember my first one, I think I was about seven months sober. um, And people came, there was a girl that flew in from Germany to come to this social and people from Liverpool, Birmingham and it was so brilliant because people were there for the company and not the booze. And since then, I've had four. And, and to get the community together of like-minded people that have gone through their own trauma and, and dynamics with alcohol, you know, and to have that genuine companionship, is it's another level. And it makes you realize that actually you really don't need it to have that connection. Oh, totally. And if you have a shared activity, like, you know, for, for people who traditionally would have drank alcohol, you go to the pub and you get drunk and there's no real activity. The activity evolves around the consumption of alcohol, whereas the activity activity could be let's go for a walk or let's go help john build a pizza oven or let's you just need to create a different activity that doesn't evolve around alcohol and suddenly you go you get to spend or even like here in Greystones is recently a wood-fired sauna just opposite the sea and like it's a wonderful different social outlet that almost feels like you're in the pub because you're sitting in this room directly opposite someone having good chats Mm. but it's a really hot room and then you run down to the sea and you come back and you're kind of getting high on life Mm. as opposed to needing alcohol and afterwards you feel drunk but you feel drunk on your own euphoria yeah, you do uh, and I, I really get that and i see that in your lovely face and um it's about living your best life and there's a thing called fomo that i quite often say to people look spin it jomo joy of missing out you know what you're missing out on alcohol that's that's not a fear of missing out it's like the company is what's really important the connection and it's authentic as well. And you remember it. You know, yeah, you, 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 we spend time together, two or three hours. We're going to remember all of it. We're going to learn what we say. We're going to grow. When you're drunk, you're just looking at the bar thinking, oh, I'm drinking mine a little bit quicker than him. I, I <laughs> I'll have to get an in-between here and that looks bad. But hey, you know, I was always one of them. So yeah. with your business then, with uh, their little fruit and veg shop, where did it go from there? So we started, as I said, we were, you know, um, we started with this little veg shop with these big dreams. And, you know, we were, I, I remember going um, the first year we started, we started in November. I remember the first year at Christmas, there was a college reunion. And I remember rocking up in our little red, we had a little small red Nissan Hiace 
And I remember driving up in the little red van um, to one of the lad's house. He was having a Christmas party and he'd become a, I think he'd become an investment banker and he was working in London. And I rocked up and I walked in and most of the lads were wearing kind of, you know, fancy clothes and cufflinks. And they looked, you know, they were all about the flash. And we rocked up stinking a cabbage and, uh, you know, got out of the little van and he kind of said, Flinner, because our second name's Flynn. So he said, Flinner, is that true? Like you you drive a van and you sell cabbages. And I turned around to him and stuck my hand up in the air and went, live in the dream. <laughs> and to most people in the room, what we were doing was kind of like we dropped out. We were kind of like we'd lost our way. But to us, we felt kind of we really had a purpose and a mission in life. And we felt really whole was probably the best way to describe it. So, you know, to us, it wasn't about um, necessarily the financials. It was about trying to impact society and to be the best, um, biz- the, have the best positive impact we could. So we started our business. It was called The Happy Pair. And we've been going 17 years now. And it's gone from this small little bed shop with a dream to where we've, um, what's the best way to describe it? So at the moment, we still have the same shop and cafe. And that is a shop and a cafe and a sourdough bakery. And now we have 62 products in about a thousand stores around Ireland and um, all, all vegan products. We've written five number one best-selling cookbooks. We've a million and a half followers on social media. We have a farm, we have a sprout farm, we have a coffee roaster. There's loads of bits in the business and it's oh, we've all our online um, courses. So we partnered back. Can I tell one little story? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we always wanted to try to encourage people to be healthier. And we used to do these kind of healthy cooking classes and teaching people how to cook with vegetables. Because you'd be at the veg shop and someone would come in and they'd be, they'd be asking, what's that veg? And you tell them it's a squash. And they go, how do I cook that? And you'd say, oh, yeah, it's high in better ter- carotene, good in vitamin E, high in fiber, blah, blah, blah. And they say you cook it, it's great. You know, and you were kind of doing that a lot. So we thought, let's do like healthy cooking classes upstairs in, in, the, in the restaurant. So we did a lo- load of those. But we found out people weren't really changing. And one day, Dave was at the till and uh, a lady came in. Um, I think her name was um, Pamela. I think it was Pamela. Uh, and she said that she'd lost two stone and Weight Watchers. So about 28 kilos. And Dave was like, wow, well done. Amazing. And then it kind of dawned on him. Wow, people love being able to measure their improvement in health. We love having a marker. So then we can tell others and, it's, you know, it gives a bit of bragging rights or whatever it is. So he was reading a book by this doctor, Dean Ornish who had shown in clinical trials that he could reverse the indicators of cardiovascular disease. So show that cholesterol had lowered, blood pressure has low, lowered, people had lost weight. And he kind of used some serious other, um, you know, technical medical devices to show the improvement to cardiovascular health. And Dave thought, I know we don't have any of those like fancy medical devices. And I know we're just like two lads here in a cafe and restaurant and bed shop, but I wonder, could we do this experiment in Ireland using Irish people? So we walked down to the local doctors. It was Brendan Cuddy and we, Cuddy and we asked, Brent, do you have any nurses? And he said, yeah, Angela's next door. So we knocked on Angela's door and we said, Angela, we want to reverse heart disease. Are you in? And Angela kind of went, lads, I've been waiting my whole life. No, she didn't. She said, how much are you paying? <laughs> we said 50 quid and she said, I'm in. So uh, Angela, we put signs up. So this was back almost 10 years ago. So there was no social media. It wasn't really prolific. So we did the next best thing. We wrote posters and we put them up on lamp posts around the town. And we put up a post, a little post in the, the next best thing, the church bulletin, wow. parish, you know, bulletin. So it was old school. Uh, and we said kind of, you know, reverse heart disease, become healthier, lose weight, skinny, sexy, free. And 20 people signed up. So they came along the first night and Angela, the nurse, was there and she measured everyone's cholesterol, their their weight and their blood pressure. And they came up to us and 
you know, we were, we were having a punt. We were two chancers that had read about a scientific piece of research that worked. And we thought, I wonder, will this work? Let's have a shot at it. So we went up and we were kind of promised the moon and stars and saying, this will definitely work. It's amazing. And, you know, at the start of it, most people had their arms crossed. And they were kind of skeptical, like, you know, the idea, what we were, what we were getting them to do was to eat a hundred percent whole food plant-based diet. So at the moment, the average diet is 50% ultra processed food. So that's kind of from croissants to donuts to white pasta to white rice, et cetera, approximately 40% animal foods and approximately 10% whole foods. So we were going to totally invert this and they were going to eat nothing but 100% whole food. So for anyone listening who doesn't know what a whole food is, it's food as you'd find it in nature. So it's unrefined plant food. So it's fruits, vegetables, beans, legumes, nuts and seeds and whole grains. Woo! So they were going to eat nothing but that for four weeks. So um, we put on some videos from doctors just to give validity as to what we were doing. And people would be skeptical. But as soon as they taste the food, they go, geez, those lentil things are all right. Geez, what's that called? A dal? Well, I must try to cook that. So you were giving out recipes. And most of it, it felt a bit like you could probably relate to it. Like It was a bit like vegetable AA. So like, like Alcoholics Anonymous, but it was just the vegetable. But it was everyone tasting the vegetables, talking about, oh, it's hard. I don't like eating vegetables. Oh, yeah, I get fart lots. Yeah, yeah. So it was really like supporting each other to eat their vegetables. So we did this for four weeks. And on the last night, I remember me and Dave were really nervous. Like we were genuinely like afraid. Like what happens if this doesn't work like this? undermines our whole ideology and why we got into business so angela was back again and she measured everyone's cholesterol weight and blood pressure and um thankfully there was an average drop of cholesterol at 20 percent. everyone lost weight weight blood pressure regulated there was you know there was a bigger drop in cholesterol in four weeks than you'd ever get from medication so it was the results were outstanding and then the the national newspaper then we did a subsequent course the national newspaper came along they did a full article then suddenly it became way too busy. Like we had way too many people wanting to do this course than we could we could serve because we were still getting up at four thirty and still cooking in the in the kitchen. And we now had a team of maybe twenty people, so we had to manage all this. Um, and I didn't want to do them all the time. They were fun and they were great and they worked, but it was like ah, there's more to life than than this. And so we had the idea, let's build an online course. So at the time, people were a bit cagey about putting their credit card details into the internet. And we thought, ah, sure, you know, oh, look, there's a train going by. Look at this. I don't know if you can hear it anyway. Listen, oh, but train went by. Um, and we're, our little office is looking at it to see, and the train went by. It was very nice. But anyway, back to the story. <laughs> uh, sorry, I'm, I'm just digressing. But um, we thought we'd build a website. We thought it would take, you know, a month and it might cost a few thousand euros. It took almost a year and it cost probably about a hundred grand, a lot more than we could afford or anything. But as soon as we released it, we thought, oh, my God, this is going to change the world. And of course, it's one thing to build a website, but it's another thing to get traffic to a website. So it didn't work for a long while. But I remember when we started with the website first. So we built, we, we took our, online, our, our physical course and we built an online version of it called our Happy Heart course. And um, it was only after a few years, like we started initially, we were going to do it for free because it's like people need this. And we found out. When it was free, people wouldn't do it. And then we charged people 50 quid, they still wouldn't do it. But when we charged them 100 quid and they had to put their money where their mouth was, suddenly they showed up and they actually did it. So we started charging 100 quid. And after a few years, it actually started to get traction. We partnered with a cardiologist, so that's a heart doctor. So it brought the science into why it worked. And to date now, we've had 
over 60,000 people through various different online courses. So we have like our good health revolution with the consultant gastroenterologist, that's a digestion doctor and a dietitian. We have our happy shape one helping people kind of manage their weight or lose weight if they want to with a bariatric GP. So that's someone who specializes in weight management. We have, you know, we've got a whole suite. We've about eight different online courses to help people improve their health and their life through their diet and lifestyle and it really works so it's amazing great fun the thing is though mate is when um like when i was drinking my food choices were disgraceful because you know you you used to maybe make up for it the next day and think oh i won't go down the cafe and have a big fry up i'll let i'll eat cereals and make up for what i ate last night but then you start drinking again then comes the takeaways or the the late night kebabs when you come out of the pub so when you Stop drinking is so important to hit it from all angles, right? Because my blood pressure was unbelievable. It was something like 184 over 120, right? And the doctor said to me, actually, you could drop down dead any moment. Um, And I really had to start looking at my nutritional choices as well. Um, You know, rebuild up my nervous system, look at gut health as well. And and you talk about that, don't you? The importance of yeah, gut health. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So in our large intestine, we have about two kilo of bacteria. It's called our microbiome. And it's a collection of bacteria, archaea, yeast, and fungi, which in essence, they're all microorganisms. And this microbiome, the easiest way to think of it, it's like the control center of human biology. So many people refer to it like as our second brain, but possibly it's even more important than that so you know it's so 70 percent of your immune system uh, exists there are over 70 percent of it so it's so vital to our function and based on the american good project which is still ongoing where they took 12,000 people gave in stool samples they found that the single biggest thing that you can do to improve your gut health is to eat plant-based foods and the second most important thing is to focus on diversity. So, you know, across the UK and Ireland, everyone will be familiar with eat your five a day. But they found out that the magic number was 30 different types of fruit and veg per week. And they found out that only one in 250 people actually achieve this. So it's extremely rare. So fiber, many people will be familiar with, and it's probably from breakfast cereal advertisement. But in essence, fiber is a vitally important nutrient because if I tell most people I'm vegetarian or I'm vegan or I eat whole foods, they kind of the first question most people ask is, where do you get your protein? And at this stage, it's become a bit of a rhetorical question that you're just like, oh, come on, surely you're more creative than that. But but in essence, to answer the protein question, you know, research where they, it was 70,000 people they measured and they compared the protein intake and did they hit the daily requirements of an omnivore or omnivores, vegetarians and vegans. They found it in all three categories. All of them got significantly over the recommended daily protein intake and typically 20% more than was required, even the vegans. And they found that the only people across all three groups that didn't get their recommended protein intake are people who were on, weren't getting enough calories. So they literally weren't eating enough food. So, But the bigger question is that fiber, most people, so the recommended fiber intake is 30 grams a day. And the average intake in the UK and Ireland is somewhere between 14 and 17 grams. So most people are getting around half the recommended daily intake of fiber. And fiber you only find in fruit, veg, beans, legumes, nuts and seeds and whole grains. So it's a direct indicator that 
you know, at the moment in the UK, it's 55% of calories are ultra processed. In the US, it's approaching 60. And in Ireland, it's around 50. So half of our calories are junk food, then approximately 40% are animal foods, which are devoid of fiber also. And it's pretty much less than 10% or around 10% are whole plant foods. Whereas if you compare that to the blue zones, which are the five areas in the planet where it's the longest living populations, they're not vegan, they're not vegetarian, but 95% of their diet are whole plant foods. So for anyone listening who wants to kind of improve their gut health, wants to improve their sleep, wants to improve so many aspects of their health, because the body isn't compartmentalized. It's not like you heal your gut and that's it. It's you heal your gut, you heal your skin, you heal your your every aspect of your body. It's intertwined, it's interconnected. So I think for anyone listening who does want to kind of have a little more energy, does want to improve their life, try to eat more fruit and vegetables. And it's not an all or nothing thing. It's not like eat a piece of chicken and you're off the team. It's literally, if you eat meat 14 times a week, maybe just try to eat it 13. And instead of having that chicken curry, maybe put in a tin of chickpeas with it. It's just baby steps. And before you know it, these positive cycles start to improve. As you eat better, suddenly you want to exercise. As you exercise more, suddenly you might meet more people. As you meet more people, suddenly you feel your relationships feel better. As you exercise more, you sleep better. So it's all these positive, positive virtuous cycles that compound. And cut down alcohol or give it up altogether. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Because alcohol is, alcohol is the kind of, I, I think it's Andy Ramage always says this, it's the kryptonite to your dreams. It's the one that kind of, it's, it's holding you back. And it's something that most people in modern day society don't question because it's just such a part of the, the, the way we live or, or, or the yeah. strata of which we live and that as soon as you actually start to question your relationship, suddenly you go, wow, I can do everything I want and I can be who I want to be. I just have to stop holding myself back and trip myself up. It's, it's the breaks. And, and, you know, like a typical thing for me would be a Monday compared to now. So back then I wake up on a Monday, I'd, I'd literally have binged all weekend after binging all week because I drank every day. Uh, but it was the the pressure of a Monday. Oh, really? I shouldn't drink tonight because I've overdone it at the weekend. What are people going to say? What? I'm, how am I going to feel if I carry on a week? But I, I was lethargic. I felt ill. Now I wake up on a Monday and I'm rubbing my hands together, thinking, "What's this week going to bring me?" Then you know, it's such a difference. Just by cutting out, well, I say just, it's not easy, but by removing one thing from your life can change everything. And even what you just said about the way you frame the language that you use, you know, from I can't to I can, it is so possible in life. I totally agree. And I think, as I was kind of saying there, many people don't question, and I never questioned my relationship with alcohol. It was only when it was Dave who largely had this idea of doing the detox. And it was him who kind of started the kind of let's, let's give up alcohol. And literally by us giving ga- alcohol, it, may, it gave us that permission to question other aspects of our lives. And really it was the fuel that kind of enabled us to become healthier and to actually, you know, further down the line, feel really happy in ourselves. So I think, I think for anyone listening, I think there's rather than seeing giving up alcohol as like, something you're going to lose see it as an opportunity of all the things you're going to gain and how you're mm. going to see life differently and you're going to experience you know the other side to life rather than staying up late kind of getting drunk or having drinks that you know there's also sunrises that are phenomenal and there's all these other aspects of life that we seldom see or experience and once you do something you're like whoa 
It's yeah. like, you know, we grew up eating a meat and two veg diet. And as soon as we started eating, you know, a vegetarian or a vegan diet, suddenly I realized, oh my God, there's all these other foods that I didn't realize that were there. And suddenly you go, oh my God, there's so much amazing food out there. Whereas in your, in my limited view previously, it was like, it's just vegetables and vegetables are bland. Like there's only potatoes and carrots and, you know, I think peas and that it. Oh, cabbage. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> totally, totally. Um, so you got your own podcast, right? And I understand that you've uh, interviewed the great Russell Brand. How was that? Yeah, Rusty Rocket. Actually, Russell's dead. He had a great laugh at Russell. Russell was over here as well a few years ago um, doing a TV show. And we got to hang out with him and become friends. He's a great character. but And it's like he was always someone that we really admired. And it was I remember he was hearing that he was in Greystones and then someone saying he was in the vet shop. And I remember rushing up to meet him and he, he'd gone and then Ross in the vet shop said, I left his number for you. And I was like, that's not Russell Brand's number. No way. And I sent him a message and just said, hey, Russell, yeah, great. Thanks for coming. Sorry to miss you. We're going swimming tomorrow if you want to come, you know, swimming. And uh, I thought, ah, shit, fuck it. That's gone to London to one of his agents or something. And then I get a text back and all right, mate. Yeah, great. I tried some of your food. It was fabulous. Yeah, yeah. I'll come down one of the days. And then the next morning I was there at sunrise. It was like it. Sunrise was at 5 a.m. and I was down at the shop around 4.45 making tea. And I get a call and it comes up my phone, Russell Brand. I was like, fucking hell, that's Russell <laughs> Brand. And then walk out and there's Russell and we went down, we went swimming and him and Bear were there and we had a great laugh. And then he came up training afterwards. And, ah, just great character, wonderful, um, wonderful human, just beautiful. And, and like us all, trying his best in life and, you know, incredibly articulate, incredibly smart, incredibly wise, and also a wonderful, flawed human like the rest of us. Yeah. And really relatable and honest and just, yeah, really lovely meeting and getting to hang out with someone, become friends with such a lovely character. Yeah. So a friend of mine, Adam, he said to me, um, uh, God knows how long ago, but he said, oh, I've got a free ticket going to see Russell Brand at Reading, right? And I, I was like, I don't know if I like him because he, he talks crap half the time, right? I didn't understand him. But do you know what, mate? I went there and I sat in the audience. He'd come out in an old dog blanket wrapped around him and he sat on this stool and he told his truth. And at the end of it, I was blown away by his honesty, by how just just lovely he came across and i and i it completely changed my opinion of him you know seeing him raw on that stage telling telling us how where he's come from to where he is now he is a incredible human being i think oh he's beautiful and incredibly smart as well we were he invited us on his podcast remember he organized event here in our hometown in greystones and i remember we, we walked on stage and russell had just done He'd interviewed some Swami and then he there was, a, I think it was maybe 200 people in the audience and he'd just done stand-up comedy to them. So the audience was like in his hand and we walked out and I felt like I was walking out like into the, the, the valley of the lions. Like I, it was, I was more nervous than I'd ever been for any interview. And like, you know, Russell just been having this laser sharp mind. It was, it was such a laugh. So look, before we wrap it up, because I know you're a busy man, but you've got, all your books out, but you've got a new book coming out in June, right? Do you want to tell us all about that? Yeah, absolutely. So we have a new book out called The Veg Box. And we've, I guess we've written five cookbooks, not a guess. I know we've written five cookbooks and they've all been great. But the goal of this one was to make eating vegetables simple, easy and accessible as well as delicious. So we've taken the 10 most common veg in Ireland, the UK, 
we cooked them 10 different ways using 10 ingredients or less. And the goal of the book was not only to make veg delicious, sexy and accessible. It was also that people would earn back the cost of the book within two to three weeks based on the savings. Because most people don't realize that a third of all the, the food you buy is wasted. So, you know, say, for example, you buy a bag of carrots to go with the Sunday roast and you open up the fridge on Wednesday and it's like, ah, oh, feck, there's those two carrots down the back of the fridge. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. And you leave and go moldy and then you chuck them out a week later. So the goal of the book was to take those two carrots and make carrot granola, make carrot flapjacks, make carrot cupcakes, make carrot falafels, make, you know, it was to show that veg don't have to be wasted and to reduce your food waste. So it's brilliant. It's called the Veg Box. It's now available to pre-order if anyone's, I'm interested. You can find it. It'll be out on June 9th. June 9th. There you are, Dave. You're on it. Thank you, Dave. It's great. Great. Well, um, so before we wrap up as well, what would you say to people that were at the crossroads of their drinking and they're, and they're thinking, do you know what? I'm a little bit done. I mean, with lockdown, so many people have drank more and I think people's mental health is at an all-time low at the moment. And I quite often say to them, you know, the last two or three years, what we've been through is is really horrific. But you come across so positive, so you love life, I can tell that. You just love life. I mean, great laugh. I love it. <laughs> like, what a fun, what an adventure. Absolutely. Um, and that's what Andy Ramage actually says. Um, he calls it the new alcohol free adventure. And mm. it's a lovely positive spin on what it looks like rather than, oh, I'm giving up. As you said, it's not what you're taking away, it's what you're gaining. And for me, it was like ripping the blinkers off. All I used to do is look down at my feet. And just trudge through life. And then when you stop drinking, you rip them off and you look around and and you see the view. Do you know what I mean? And it's so different. So what would you say to people that are on the cusp, that are listening to this podcast? Let's have some good old Steve O'Flynn. <laughs> uh, I, I think a forgotten superfood is friendship and friendship and laughter. And I think although we live in this ultra positive society that kind of celebrates it and kind of you look on Instagram and it's all everyone's highlights. We all have days that we struggle and we all have, you know, both emotions that can be appear as positive and negative, but all emotions are vitally important. And it's really important that we express them all. And it's through our vulnerability that we connect. It's when you say to someone, I feel shit, I feel vulnerable. And suddenly it gives them permission to be empathetic and to actually say, yeah, I know what it feels like to feel shit. Come on, let's go have a cup of tea. So I think rather than plastering on this kind of plastic smile, I think to be more honest and to, to, to not be afraid of sharing this superfood called laughter and friendship and to to see friendship beyond sitting having pints talking about the match to actually going for a walk and saying to someone, yeah, I feel a little lonely, you know, and having permission to be honest and be vulnerable because it's true that you kind of reach a more comfortable place in yourself and you, and you make a better friend. So my advice to anyone listening is to kind of community is a superfood that we don't celebrate enough. Even in 2018 in the UK, at governmental level, where governmental level, where there's the the minister for whatever the economy and there's the minister of finance, there's now a minister of loneliness because it's become such an epidemic. Whereas 
we've forgotten that we're a social species and that we need to belong. It's not about having people around you. It's about having people around you that you belong to. So yeah. it's, it's true wealth is friendship. So rather than cultivating these friends that you go out and you get pissed with, and then you're hung over and that's your main activity. I found in my limited experience of life by having friends that where it doesn't evolve around alcohol, they're much more likely to be there to support me when I really need them. And likewise, I'm there to support them when I need them. So I think alcohol at least in my experience, it, it kind of kept my friendships often quite superficial. And it was only when I removed alcohol that it gave me permission to be a bit more vulnerable, to be a bit more awkward, to have more of those harder conversations. And as a result, they felt much deeper, more honest and much more supportive. Hope that, was all right. hope that was all right. I hope I didn't go too, too, um, too deep. Yeah, I was going to say, can you expand on that? No, that, <laughs> yeah, was, no that, <laughs> that was brilliant. And do you know what? It's it's um, what I related to that was with the groups that I have. You know, I've done my Dry Jan Sober Dave group, Dry Jan Sober May group, my app, um, my Facebook group, all that. Where where you've I've created a, a community of like minded people that align with each other now, and they can share their truth. And it's so important because. Ex drinker myself, I used to hide a lot of things. I used to hide my booze, my feelings because of the shame and stigma. And now because I talk so freely and openly, it's so enriching, you mm. know, and to share with people that understand and get you is just, it's a different level of dopamine rush that we used to uh, seek all the time in, in the bottle, you know. Uh, and it's so important, the power of community, yeah, and, and in the power of acceptance and belonging and being seen, I think these are all, you know, we tend to celebrate money and we celebrate materialism, but in reality, none of that matters. In reality, what matters is that, you know, we feel good in ourselves and friendship and community and support are tenements. They're like one of the most important things of this. Well, Steve, I'm so grateful. I felt a little bit down actually before I started this and now I feel on top of the world. You know, <laughs> spirits. So I'm going to go and the lentils now. And, good man, Dave. You're brilliant. <laughs> and have a cup of uh, herbal tea. Thank That's you so, so much, mate, for taking the time out. And uh, I will put everything in the show notes, but your new book, The Veg Box, is out on the 9th of June, ready to pre-order now. You've got your podcast and you've got your courses that can be found on all your socials. You're a legend, mate. Thank Thanks, you so Dave. much. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. Good luck with everything. Cheerio. Thank come visit so sometime. I come bloody will, mate. Dude, we have a great setup. So come visit. We have a really fun world here. It's beautiful. So come anytime. I will. Yeah. I'll put my tickets. Good man, Thank Dave. You, mate. Thanks, Dave. Lots of love. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye, mate. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of One for the Road. Please remember to subscribe and leave a review. You can now download my app, Sober Dave on the Apple and Google Play Store and on there you will find lots of tutorials, tips and support to help you stop drinking and there are also meditation audios, food plans and chat forums you can also find me on Instagram at Sober Dave please remember to join me for next week's episode but until then thanks for listening and have a great week